0: All right, so my name is Joshua Williams. I have the awesome opportunity of serving AWC as the lead pastor, but none of that would be possible without something that had to have happened a couple of years ago. Um, About 15 or so years ago, everybody thinks that the transition was like six years, but the transition actually happened in our founding pastor's heart, Martin Williams, like somebody say a long time ago, because he was called to the church, but he was called to help the church in a different way. We transitioned this church last week But absolutely none of this would happen. I wouldn't be here. This church wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be able to watch us be in the room. There wouldn't be somebody say AC because it's getting warm in Omaha in Jesus' name. None of that would be able to happen without our founding pastors, Martin and Linnell Williams. So this morning, can we give honor to our founding pastors? Just real quick. We say good morning to you. Good to see you. We say good morning because somebody say thank you, Pastor. Um, because, you know, a lot of people can talk about passing it on, and then when it comes time to let go of the baton, they hold on to it, and somebody say, then you're disqualified. So we are standing in the middle of a miracle, yes, for sure, but we're standing in the middle of a choice that our pastors made, and I say thank you to you. Without them, your boy would not be here. Amen and amen. So here we go. Week number three, clap once. We are in a sermon series that we're calling... And the point of this sermon series is to talk about worship. Now, here at AWC, worship is very important and it is extremely vital because we were proclaimed as a house of worship way back in the day. People would come to our organization for conferences and they would say like, man, that was a good word, but the worship. People would say, like, man, yeah, the building's beautiful and the building's cute, but the worship. And the children's ministry is amazing, but the worship. And I think that there is a a distinguishing factor with worship and God's presence. So we are going to be continuing this journey today in week three, talking about why God's presence is so important and why if you try to worship outside of his presence, it's actually performance. Okay. If if we take a survey and we take a poll regarding worship, what would you guys say? Talk to me. What, What would you say worship is? Singing. Emotion. Singing twice. Singing, singing. Yeah, it's different when you say it twice. Okay, what else? Come on. Posture, surrender. This side of the room. Devotion. Some of you guys are probably saying some stuff on Facebook, but I'll get it in five minutes later because that's how social media works. But if we take a poll on what worship is, as you could hear, everybody has a different definition. But I want you to write this down because this is going to be the defining foundation for every single sermon that comes out of this sermon series. Worship is our response to God because of what he did in love for us. If we do not understand that our worship is rooted in what God did for us, we can make worship a selfish thing that we think that we can do off key in the shower at four o'clock in the morning. And we will think that worship is good based off of the acoustics. Any singers in the room? One of my favorite places to sing is like when I'm walking in a parking lot. It's different. It feels angelic. But that's not worship if God's not there. In order for it to be worship, something worth being worshiped has to be in the vicinity. If not, somebody say it's performance. So let's jump right into the word. Romans 12, one through two. And you guys already know me. I need you guys to be a good class. So when I begin to read, you begin to what? Read. Let's do it. Romans 12. And it says, I beseech. Oh, oh, hold on, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. For those of you that have not followed for a long period of time, this is the new King James. So you're going to see a lot of words in here that you don't understand. I saw somebody say beseech. And I'm like, what does beseech mean? Don't, like, don't worry. If, if, if you stick with me, all of this will somebody say make sense. Read it with me. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the what? Mercies of God, that who? You do what? Present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice. What else? And do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In Romans 12, we get the perfect foundation of what God is asking for us to put on the altar. Remember what we talked about a couple of weeks before, that before God is holy, correct? And since God is holy and we are unholy, there is a need for a sacrifice. So what would happen is that whenever God did anything for his people, they would set up, somebody say an altar. But what went on the altar was more important than the altar itself. You had to use an animal that was clean. Remember last week when we talked, I'm sorry, a couple weeks ago when we talked about the resurrection, we talked about how Jesus was the only sacrifice that could die for you. Why? Because his blood was different. When you gave your heart to Christ, the transformation that happened in your life actually started with your blood first. It's an inside out job. I don't know about any of you. I got saved every single summer camp in the 90s, and my outside appearance still don't look like my inside. Anybody else that's your testimony? Like my inside wants to do right, but my flesh has a different thought process. So our our account of when we gave our heart to Christ is that the minute that you made the decision to give your heart to God, your heart immediately changed. Now, as we walk throughout our maturity in Christianity, our job is to get our flesh to do what our heart wants. And I don't know about you, but that is probably the most difficult thing that I have ever done before. Living righteously makes marriage look easy. Like trying to live right is more difficult than following the speed limit. And I know that some of y'all don't because I said be here at 10 o'clock and you're like, get in the car, we're late. And you mobbed the whole way here. But the reason why it's difficult to stay righteous is because you cannot be righteous without God. Trying to live at God's standard without him is impossible. So when we look at the word, it says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, which means that you cannot present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, unless it's by his mercy. There is nothing, I feel the presence of God already. There is nothing humanly possible that you could do to to make yourself holy, except for God's mercy. But if we think about it religiously, we'll think that we deserve God's mercy. No, it is by God's mercy that when he sees you, he actually sees himself. I don't know about you, but when God sees me, I don't want him to see me. Okay, now it's this side of the room. I'll talk over here. Like when God sees Joshua, I don't want him to see me experientially. I want him to see me spiritually when God sees me, I want God to see himself. Look at your neighbor and say, be righteous. be righteous. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which means that it will not be accepted if you are not holy. Which is your, somebody say, reasonable. God asking you for your life is not out of the question. Like he's not asking too much for every part of your life. Like when God asks for your, like, for your marriage, that's not too much. When he asks you for the house, it's not too much. Lest we forget that God gave us, like Pastor Linnell said earlier, not one of his 10 sons, his first one. This is, the soul, this, is, this is what's so interesting about God is that God gave you his first knowing that you would reject him. Like God knew I'm gonna send my son to earth to die for some stinking heathen people And even the stinking heathen people that don't deserve it are going to have an opportunity to make it into heaven. And then when the trumpet sounds, can somebody go, my voice is gone. So you got to do it for me. Do it. Even with all of that, it will not be enough to convince them to choose Jesus. So doing church is not enough to make people worship. There has to be an internal change on the inside of you that would make it easier for you to lift your hands than to stay what you're saying i'm already teaching this morning somebody say by the mercies of god it is a reasonable service for you to worship him worship is the only gift that you can give to god out of your free will your tithe is his so you give it to him your offering give it to him your babies that you push out but they're not yours like do you know how many things have to go right to make a baby And we think it's just us doing the act to make the child. Look, No, God has to be in the middle of that thing to make both of those pieces come together at the right time to attach to the uterine wall. Nine months later, a baby comes out. You think it's because you're good? No, it's because he's sovereign. So therefore, your worship should reflect your relationship. If somebody has a weak relationship with you, it will show. Same happens with our relationship with God. So, PJ, are you saying that the people that are the most flamboyant have a real good relationship with God? I ain't saying all that. Because there'd be some people out here that be clowning, oh, thank you, Joe. Oh, thank you. And there's no relationship there. But by the mercies of God, today we're going to feel, figure out what is actually somebody say acceptable. When we look at Isaiah 6, Isaiah in the beginning of the book, he has a vision that God gives him as he's in this place called Judea. Does like, do, like, everybody with me? Like there's a, there's a place, they don't call it Judea anymore, but that's where he was. So Isaiah the prophet is in the middle of a culture in Judea where all of the people around him are worshiping idols, like they're sacrificing babies They're eating cats like they're they they are like literally taking one another's wives and like they're they're sleeping with animals like everything around him is like counterculture to what he knows he needs to do. God loves Judea so much that he gives a word to Isaiah and he gives him a vision in this vision Isaiah sees Judea Judea destroyed not because God isn't good but because of the fact that they're worshiping idols. There are a lot of things in our lives that don't work out, not because God isn't good. We're worshiping the wrong thing. When you look at it biblically in the Strongs, how many of you guys have a Strongs? Oh, y'all saved, say, that's what I'm talking. Anybody have a concordance? Ooh, y'all sanctified. Y'all got a VIP ticket to heaven. That's what I'm talking about. God going to give you the ability to check people in like, no, I'm a VIP. Come on in, bro. You know what I mean? You're going to have a VIP list. If you look at the Strongs and we look in the Greek, Judea was actually more worshiping than the Israelites. They were just worshiping the wrong thing. Whenever they got a harvest, they would take the first of that, that, that wheat, they would put it on an altar and worship the wheat. Whenever like, they would have a baby, they would take the first of that baby and they would sacrifice the baby, which is not biblical. And they would put it on an altar and they would worship the baby. We as humans actually have an easier job of worshiping the things that are going right in our lives out of selfishness. But what we have to do as humans is learn to worship God, even though life is good to us. You want to know what it looks like? It looks like when you get when, when I was at the altar, I started boohooing. Not because my wife was beautiful, even though she was fine and still is. But I remembered the promise that God gave me. Getting married was the promise that God gave me. Buying the house, it's not the house, it's the promise that God gave you. Like everything in your life that actually is good isn't because you're a good person. It's because somebody say God is good. So let's go to Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. Isaiah, after seeing this vision, he starts trying to preach to the people of Judea, and he's not making any progress. The first six chapters of this book, he's trying to talk to these people about how good God is, and it seems like all of the words that are coming out of Isaiah's mouth are falling on deaf ears. I want you to make a note of this, that if you are trying to get through two people, It's impossible. Me trying to get through to you is impossible. Let me give you a reason why. Pastor Martin and Linnell have been teaching the word of God for 25 years, preaching the good truth of the gospel of kingdom, and people's lives have not changed. Is it because they're not good teachers? Is it because our vision has changed? Is it because our mission has changed? Why? It's because some people hear man's voice and they out the voice of God. The way in which you become a mature Christian is when you come and you hear the word, but you're looking for God's voice in the sermon. So can we be mature today? I really want for all of us, even myself included, to hear the voice of God in this sermon. Don't hear me, hear the word, but hear God's voice. Somebody say, hear God's voice. voice. Isaiah 6, one through three, it says, it was in the year that King Uzziah died, that I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah speaking. He was sitting on a lofty throne, And the train of his robe, somebody say, filled the temple. First point is, God is, period. God wasn't. God won't be. God never will be. God always has been. Somebody say, God is. is. It's very interesting that when Isaiah is in the presence of the Lord, he sees the Lord. And you guys know the new King James, I see the Lord high and lifted up, right? It's not enough that God is sitting on a throne the throne is high as well. So God is sitting in a position of power. The throne in the kingdom is the most, how many of you guys have watched Game of Thrones? The whole entire show, people are trying to kill each other for a chair. Not because the chair is significant, but what it represents is significant. I taught a sermon last year talking about watch the throne, which means that whatever sits on the throne of your heart rules your life. Isaiah sees God sitting on, somebody say a throne, but it's not a throne that's on level with man. It's a throne that is, somebody say, high. It's above Isaiah. It's, it's like he, he can't get close to it. This is another reminder to us that God is holy. I know that it's going to sound like I'm teaching the same sermon twice, but if we do not understand and grasp the concept of us worshiping a holy God, anything and everything else that you get as revelation won't work. God being different than you is what makes him better than you today's sermon will not be about you. We're going to talk about God. Is is that okay? Because it's really easy for us to think that we're Isaiah in this sermon. And remember what I promised you in January. I'm not doing that anymore. Maybe it's not for this year. Like, I don't want anybody to walk out of this place and be like, I need to be like Isaiah. No, no, no. You need to be like, somebody say you. It's interesting because Isaiah sees that at one point in time, when one king dies, he says another king that's living. In this year, King Uzziah takes his last breath and he dies. He he doesn't speak anymore. He's no longer king because he's dead. At the same time that Isaiah sees a king that was living and is now dead, he sees a king that has never lived and always has been. Somebody say God is. When we look at King Uzziah, he took the throne at the age of 16 after his father Amaziah died. And he reigned for 52 years. Now, I don't know about you, and I'm not trying to comfort anybody's age, but humanly speaking, 52 years is a lot of time. 52 years ago, Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. 52 years ago, Richard Nixon was the president. And we got some people in the room that are like, yay, and some people are like, man, I don't know. Which means that there's been 52 other presidents since Nixon. Woodstock attracted 350,000 fans. And maybe some of y'all were there in the room saying amen. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Uh, the Beatles recorded their final album, uh, Abbey Road. It's so interesting that when Isaiah sees Uzziah, the king, that he is reminding, he's reminded about how time was actually a construct that was built for him to understand God. The reason why we have time is to try to fathom infinity i want you to think about this close your eyes and think about nothing think about nothing if there's nothing like there was nothing there just think think about a void your brain should go into a centripetal trip out because your brain doesn't have the ability to think of nothing where you get caught up is actually where god lives so isaiah sees king uzziah die And at the same time that he sees King Uzziah die, he sees another king that can't die. Then after he sees the king, he says that he sees his robe and that it fills the temple. This is the significance of why this is important. At this point in time, as a king, whenever you would kill another king, you would chop his head off, you would take off his robe, and you would stitch his robe to the end of your robe. So if God's robe fills the temple, that means that the first part of the robe is his. And every other piece of the robe that fills the temple is of every other king that he has defeated. So when King Uzziah dies, his robe is attached to the new king that Isaiah sees. Y'all are going to get this this morning. His robe fills the temple. That means that God has never lost. Kings will pass away. But he will remain so when you say this i saw the lord sitting upon the throne and his and his train was long and it, and it filled the temple what you're actually telling god is that god you've never lost you can't lose and every other person that claims to be king is not because they have the ability to somebody say die god can't die therefore he is the one only true king Is it okay if I go kingdom, like, for real, for real? Like, can we go to the gutter this morning? Like, can we not do the religious penny-ante stuff? Can we really talk about the God that has never lost, will never lose, regardless of what you project on him? This is what faith looks like, Elder Butler. Yes, your grandmama died from cancer, but if God has never lost, he still gets the victory. I, I mean, like... I'm starting to learn, Mr. Dwayne, that how I know I'm settled in my faith in Christ is when people think that I'm crazy. But God has never lost. We read over this scripture so quick. In the same time that Isaiah sees a king that's died, he sees his robe added to a king that has never lost. He's never lost. He's never lost. It goes to show that King Uzziah in 52 years still was not matched with Jesus. That in his 52 years of reign, no matter how many people he set free, no matter how many kingdoms he conquered, no matter how many firstborn sons he had, no matter how many people that he set free, he's still not comparable to God. Every single time that you worship, it should remind you of how insignificant you are. It should remind you, I have a robe, but God has robes. This robe can't fill the temple. But somebody, look at your neighbor and say, God's can. can. So what makes God different? We already talked about this, but I want to set the platform. Number one is that he's transcendent, which means that he's above, better, smarter than who? Anything and everything. He is sovereign, which means that he exists without anything. King Uzziah was king as long as he had breath in his body. God doesn't need breath in his body to rule. He is the only being on anything, anywhere that exists ever that exists because he exists. Your blender needs a a source, right? Remember when you got your first iPod, you were like, ooh, it's wireless, but you still have to hook it up to a charger. You do not hook God up to a wall and plug him in for him to get his power. God's power is there, period. Period. God is transcendent. He's also, some might say, morally pure, which means that God cannot sin, period. If God can't sin, that means that God cannot sin against you. And if God can't sin against you, that means that he can't lie to you. So if God told you that you would be healed, it doesn't mean that he doesn't mean that it's true. Look at your neighbor and say, he can't lie. The third thing is this. First, God is transcendent. He's away from us. Secondly, God is morally pure, which means that he's better than us. But third, God is not dependent or leaning on anyone or anything. These things should produce joy in the inside of us because he rules over us but is nothing like us. I said this last week. God being different than us should cause fear. And not like the, like the play Christian fear, like we're afraid of God. Fear in this sense is that when you are in his presence, your fear causes you to love him more. That's why for us Christians during the pandemic, for us kingdom citizens, COVID actually for some of us pushed us closer to Jesus. That's why last summer when people that look like me and my skin color were being killed in the streets, it actually pushed me closer to reconciliation of the races. If you're in the kingdom, what's supposed to divide people should actually bring you closer to them. What the world wants us to do, and, North o- and Omaha is perfect for it, they want all of the black poor people to live in North Omaha. They want all of the Latin and the Jews and the French folks to live in South Omaha. They want everybody white or Indian or that is able to be an adding factor to society to live out west. And it's perfectly built that way. Have you ever looked at our city from the 10,000-foot view? Have you ever seen how the numbers ascend the more you go west? And how all the names go east and west. So it's literally gridlocked. So if we want to, by policy, we can put people where we want them to be based off of how much we think that they are worth. AWC, I want you to know that our building is literally in the cross section of where the city wants to split and divide people. You're sitting in the middle of Judea. Okay, y'all going to get it when they get home, Mr. John. AWC, we are Isaiah. Sitting in the middle of culture. Where culture is trying to tell us to divide, God gave a word to a man that now is our responsibility to talk to the culture from, somebody say, inside of it. So by our worship, we can tell God where his presence can be. You are at point zero zero on the map. I don't know if you know this, but about 25 miles south of this building, and Elder Butler talked to me about this a couple months ago, you can literally point on a map on a globe anywhere and hit Omaha. Zero zero you guys remember geography? No, y'all don't Y'all some lying heathens y'all failed where's New Zealand? It's over there somewhere We're sitting in the middle of Judea Where culture is trying to destroy it and a lot of people have heard this 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 talked in the sermon That God hated Isaiah, so he put him in the middle of something that's impossible. But if you are a kingdom citizen, you will realize that when God puts you in the middle of something impossible, he's not looking for your possibility to make the possible possible. So AWC, we're in the perfect place. This building that God showed Pastor Martin and and, and Elder Butler and Elder Thomas and and another man by the name of uh, 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 Elder Lee, we love you, sir. God showed them a vision of what he wanted in the city. Look at your neighbors. say, we're in Judea. We are at the point where I-80 splits our city and tells you based off of when you cross I-80, stuff gets prettier, does it not? Don't play with me, does it not get prettier? But I think that we can make the entire city pretty and we can do what somebody say right here. Because of the fact that God is holy, it should produce in us I want to worship him, but sometimes because of who we are how good God is actually creates disbelief And the root of your hesitancy to worship God is that you don't believe that he's God Let me prove it to you Disbelief is the inability or refusal to accept that something is true or real so it doesn't matter how many times God shows up in your life to prove that he's God. If you don't believe it, he has no power. Remember what I said a couple minutes ago that God exists outside of anything and he has all power and like, like um, he, he, he can do all things and it's not connected to anybody? Well, I kind of lied. God has no power in the lives of people that don't believe in him. He can't work in a place where people don't believe in him. The word of God is so bad it said that even amongst the place where he was born in, in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem, they basically, he couldn't do any of the miracles there. Why? Because they were familiar. If your worship becomes familiar, God's presence will never show up. If it comes to the point where you know we're going to do three songs and you know that your hands are up on the first song, you bow on the third, you lay on your face in the, in, in, the, in the fourth song, now you've created a routine that God does not prove in relationship. The root of hesitancy is disbelief. We don't fall to sexual sin just because of lust. We fall to sexual sin because we don't truly believe that God is the Lord of our body. We don't take the higher paying opportunity just because of greed and disobedience. We take the job that pays more because we don't truly believe that God can provide for us at a lower wage. God, you know what my dreams are. You know I need more money, so I'm gonna take this job. If whatever is in front of you as an opportunity causes us to move our feet this year as we're postured it's sin if it calls you to walk away from the almighty source that is jesus look at your neighbor say "It's it's sin i know that we don't want to talk about it and we're in a kingdom church and i said it last week like sin isn't important but sin becomes important if we're dwelling in it do you know that the worst place that a christian can be is okay with their sin that's the worst place that you could be is to know that it's wrong be okay with it being wrong and think that you are safe in your wrongness. Look, look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about himself too. I'm, talking about, I'm not trying to be on, you know, on your back. I'm talking about me too. We don't worship not just because of a fear of embarrassment. We don't truly believe that God is deserving of it. It always amazes me when I'm in the room with people and I remember their testimony and they lost their worship. It's like we can become so separated from what God did for us that we forget about how lost we were. Just for a second, remember how lost you were. Like, do you remember that prayer you prayed? God, I can't make this one work. Oh, it sounds like this. God, if you exist, you, you got to make a way out of no way. And after God makes a way out of no way, that next Sunday, oh, you go crazy. You be ripping, running. You'd be on Instagram, who did it, my God, I mean, you'd be going crazy telling everybody about Jesus. But let you get too far removed from what God did to you, for you. Your worship changes because now you're married. Your worship changes because now you don't have to go to the hospital. God sent you to the hospital, not because you were sick. It's almost like it was a daily reminder that I'm your source. Like, don't forget, I'm the physician. It's not this penicillin that you're taking. I'm the one that gave the idea for the penicillin. I'm the one that actually created the degree path for the doctor. I'm the one that created the doctor program. So when you're looking to the doctor, you shouldn't praise the medicine. You should praise me. Don't become so far removed from what God did in your life that you forget that God did it in your life. Your testimony Isn't just for you to say how good you are. It should remind you of how good God was How many of you are living in a house right now that you can't afford but God How many of you are sitting next to a man or a woman that shouldn't have married you and they know everything about you Me and my wife went through marriage counseling. There are multiple times I was talking to Kevin and Denise and my wife would be like what? But she chose she didn't choose me She followed the purpose that God gave her to marry me. Vanessa shouldn't be married to me of who I am, but God. How many of you are breathing right now? And you shouldn't be. You're on borrowed time, but God. That car accident should have taken you out in 87. Oh, let's take it a step further. You caused the accident. You were actually drunk behind the wheel, spent no time in jail, got redeemed, got a new car, and the other person's living. But God, like God works backwards like in the areas where you should be thrown underneath the jail he has a way of using it for his glory somebody give God a shout of praise God that you made the decision to be good even when I wasn't good the job you have is not the job that you have because you're a good person how many of you have a job right now that you are underqualified for You ain't even got a degree. You don't even smell like a university. You didn't even fill out an application but God. Every time that it comes time to worship AWC, don't worship from how tired you are from the day before. Worship from that thing. I'll give you five seconds to practice. Go. Five, four, three, two. Those of you online, I'll give you another five. Five, four. Worship him from what he did for you. Worship him from his sacrifice. God, I'm not good, but you're good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't deserve anything in my life. Nothing in my life I deserve. I couldn't even do the right things to marry the right woman, to be even at this church, to be born to the family that I was into. But God, somebody scream, but God. God. All right, you're wasting my time. Sit down, 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 sit down. down, down. (laughs) But God, some of you are looking in the face of babies that are 14 and 15 years old, but you forgot when they were born that they were actually pronounced dead but God we will not be a church that's embarrassed to tell God how good he is I hope it catches you when you at Disney World hey baby look at the would you like powdered sugar on your funnel cake? Okay. yes I would yes I would but, it's, but if it wasn't for his mercy you know what I'm saying I mean I don't know The old folks used to do this, Kim. They used to literally be in the shopping line and get to dancing and praising God. They used to be in the middle of the doctor telling them that it's terminal four cancer and begin praising God. I honestly believe that in the middle of your bad news, if you praise God like you wouldn't, it might just change your situation. Somebody scream, "But but God, but God. But God, every time you look at your wife, you should be said, but God, God, you love me this much that she's fine. She prays for me and I get to be in bed with her and there's no guilt or shame. God, what? <laughs> there's no guilt or shame. What? Are you saying the car that you're driving? God, I know that it only gets like two, two gallons. like It gets two, two miles to the gallon, but God, I own my car. God, thank you. Your child might be struggling with a sickness or be autistic, but at least you have children in a world where some people can't. God, thank you. Thank you. God, thank you. AWC, we're going to get to the point where we're able to praise God for the thorn in our side. God, I thank you for the stuff that goes wrong in my life because I could be dead and that nothing will be going wrong because I'm dead. Somebody say, but God. but God. Okay, let me move on. 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 The root of hesitancy is disbelief. The root of hesitancy is disbelief. But the product of praise is presence. Isaiah sees the Lord. I feel something different this morning. <laughs> Isaiah sees the Lord seated high on the throne. And as he sees him there, he sees his robe, but then he, somebody say he sees something else. Isaiah 6, 2-4. Attending him, that'll preach by itself. (laughs) God is not afraid of being lonely or alone, but since he's holy, he can't be by himself. (laughs) Since God is king, he can't be by himself. Okay, okay, so, okay, 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 okay. God's so bad that God created 1.0 and 2.0 of himself so that he could be in his own presence. God, so, God, this is stupid. How God's stupid. I'm sorry. And that's not derogatory. We black. That's what we say. That's stupid. Like God's dumb. God said, I can't be by myself. So in order for me to be with me, let me just reproduce myself in two other forms. Okay. I'm God. I wear the crown, but then I got to have this guy named Jesus was good. Uh Uh-huh. You're going to die, but it's okay. Then he splits himself again and makes the Holy Spirit. All three of them are the same person, but they have three different functions. We're going to talk about that in another sermon series in the next couple weeks. But look at your neighbor and say, God can't be alone. Attending him were mighty, somebody say seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, underline each other. What were they saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is what? Filled with his glory. So now, now, that, now that they are worshiping God, they have given God's robe access to earth. Do you remember how his robe was filling the temple? Now that they begin worshiping, what now is in heaven can come to earth. You want to make sure that God's presence is on earth? Start worshiping some of you are about to buy a house me and my wife were standing with the only realtor that I respect in the city called Dream Realty I'm sorry I don't care about nobody else I really don't we were standing in the middle of Metro Credit Union we were sitting there with Miss Dana they, they slid us some bad information across the room Miss Dana said y'all need to leave the room I said excuse me because that's because Miss Dana is a white gangster you feel me <laughs> what realtor you know carry holy oil into when you are about to sign come on now she said, you guys just need to go out into the hallway. Me and my wife went to the restroom and started praising God. We came back into the room and we got the house for less than what we were offering. Is it because we're good? Is it because she's a good realtor? No, we're connected to heaven. You want to get into school, Joe? Worship. You don't need no man to give you no scholarship. Worship. Worship. I'm sorry. I just had to brag on you, Ms. Dana, because I'm ready to buy another house. They feel different this morning. <laughs> Shoot. I want to buy a house and give it to somebody and have it paid off for five years so they can build their credit. Like, that's the type of wealth I want. Yeah. Attending him with mighty seraphim, each having six wings. The next level in your worship is when, you're wor- when you worship the essence of God and not just the benefits. You want to know what true worship is? is when you worship God, period. Not when you worship it for what he did Not when you worship him for what he can do Not when you worship him for what he will do But you worship him just because he's God That's worshiping from spirit and truth If you worship God for what he's going to do That's not worship, that's adoration Worship is when you worship him because he's worth being worshipped But God can't be alone it says that they are seraphim. Seraphim, when you break that word down in the Greek, it means burning ones. It means that if that thing were to fly into the room, everybody sees Isaiah, look at the, look, look at the seraphim, like, wow, it's so beautiful, and it's majestic. If it was us, we'd be like, ah! What is that? It'd be, it'd be terrifying. Because things in our reality look different when you're in the presence of God. You get that on the way home. They have six wings. And they're flying around. And the word of God doesn't say how many there are. There could have been millions. We like to think of things in three. And they call God holy, holy, holy. Holy means what? To be set apart, to be cut away from. This is the only place in the Bible where the characteristic of God is said three times in a row. So almost to say that we're not just saying that God is holy. He's holy, holy, holy. Which means that as much as you think he's better than you. He's three times that bad. As much as you think God is good, he's actually three times as good. As much as you think that he is great, he's actually three times as great. I want you to take another thing into account, is that they're not singing to God, they're singing to each other. The seraphim have six wings, and don't get weird, you, like we watch Narnia. Some of y'all watch Star Wars. If the Bible's weird, then we gotta have a conversation a Wookiee, and that's a tongue. Come on now. (laughs) The seraphim have six wings, two to fly, two to cover their face, two to cover their feet. Two cover their face because God is so beautiful in his presence, and he's so holy that you can't even look upon him. So they're flying without knowing where they're going. In your worship, you shouldn't be able to tell the beginning from the end. That's why I don't like playlists, because if you don't put it on shuffle, you know exactly when the first song starts, and when the last one be- ends. So your worship time begins every day, and it's only 25 minutes because that's all the music that you put in your playlist. It says if there was two other wings. Somebody say two wings. Two wings. <laughs> Y'all weird. <laughs> that covered their feet. The reason why the seraphim fly, according to the Greek, isn't because they were made to fly. But they had to fly because the ground that they were flying over was holy. So I have to fly because if I touch the ground that is holy, I have to die. So I cover my face because he's beautiful. I cover my feet because I'm, uh, uh, I'm unclean. But in order for his presence to enter into the earth, I actually have to worship, Somebody say, with each other. There is a difference in God's presence when we worship together. It says that they called out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Almost to say that when I say holy, 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 Damon hears what I'm saying from his perspective of who God is. So when Damon says holy, 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 I hear holy, holy, holy through the filter of what God did for me. So what happens in the assembly of the righteous here in church is that sometimes a person over here can be praising God for something that you're not even in realization of yet. I wish I had a sanctified church this morning. I really wish I did. And somebody over here that's sick and whose marriage is not working, somebody over here will get the realization of your blessing and begin worshiping on your behalf. So somebody in the middle can be in a place where they're confused and they're dealing with depression and anxiety. But the joy of the Lord can hit somebody online. And you'll start to think, man, I just feel happier. No, 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 no. Somebody is worshiping on your behalf. So who has not had the opportunity to receive from God Because you're not worshiping. Now, we've moved from being sanctified to being selfish. I think we're going to make it into heaven. I think that God's going to talk to Joshua and be like, hey, remember what you wanted? X, Y, and Z. You were this close, but you stopped worshiping me. This is just me. I don't know about y'all. This is my relationship with G.O.D. You feel me? You down with G.O.D. Okay. just want to make sure y'all say What if you were this close what if the deliverance you want for your son that walked away from God is actually stuck in your worship and not rehab what if the next level of your marriage isn't in you becoming a better man it ain't no money what if it was what if what your wife needed to see was you a blubbering mess in God's presence it's better than sex it's better than money it's better than a house Because what that proves to my wife is that regardless of how cute you are, how fine you are, how good the physical is, I need to get in God's presence so I can be better for you. What this side of the room needs is in your worship. What this side of the room needs is in your mouth. So from now on, when you come to church, AWC, don't worship for you because know that somebody else has got you covered. (laughs) Somebody's got Pastor Joshua covered, so I need to worship on somebody else's behalf. Real quick, just take two seconds and worship God for somebody else. God, I don't know who this is for. But I'm gonna lift my hands for whoever it is. I don't know if it's cancer. I don't know if it's diabetes I don't know if it's anxiety but God because of my see my worship as a sacrifice for my brother or my sister God, I'll worship for North Omaha. I'll worship for alt-right. I'll worship for the white supremacist I'll worship for the person that's drunk. God see my worship as a sacrifice on their behalf See what I do see what I do They don't know any better They don't know any better. God, see my worship and save the community. See my worship and save the housing community. God, see my worship and save the entertainment mountain. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Verse four, their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. I want to make sure that We are on the same page. Um, God is everywhere, but his presence doesn't go everywhere. God abides. Somebody say omnipotent. He's everywhere and he's all-powerful. He's omniscient. Somebody say omniscient, omniscient, which means he has all power. He's omnipresent, which means that he's everywhere all at the same time. But God makes a decision of whose presence he inhabits. What did I say? God makes a decision of whose presence he inhabits. God is everywhere, but he's not everywhere. There's a difference. Why? God is in your presence and in your space, right? But how many of you guys have ever walked in the presence of somebody who just, it just felt like they just were different? Like their presence was just like, what? This person's different. For all of you that didn't know who Dr. Monroe was or never got to be in the same room, as he, he was a sidewalk-cracking type of person. When you were in his presence, it was just like, I don't, this is different, I went to Chicago, and I'm going to tell you this. I got to see and meet Bishop T.D. Jakes, and the hype is real. He's different, but it's not him. It's God's presence that they carry. You have the same ability. You are supposed to be an image bearer. You're supposed to carry the presence of God. Olive, when you go into school, the school should change just because of the fact that mommy and daddy dropped you off 10 minutes early. Like, she should get out of the car or off the bus. I don't know if you rather. I used to be a latchkey kid, so we rode the bus. But the minute you step over the threshold, yep. teachers should get calm. Yep. When you walk into the bank, they should start just wanting, I don't know why, but I just want to give away money. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the presence of God should cause conviction and exposure. Isaiah knows not to join in the praise of the seraphim because God's presence reminds him of how unclean he is. Isaiah 6, 5-6 says, Then I said, who said? I did. Isaiah is talking to himself. He sees the seraphim. He sees the Lord high and lifted up. He sees the smoke in the temple. He sees the robe. And he's like, wow, this is beautiful. But he doesn't join in with worshiping them. Why? He says, then I said, it's all over. The new King James says, woe unto me, which is a four-letter curse word, woe which basically means like, I should not be here. It's all over. What does he say? I am doomed for why? I am a sinful man and I have filthy lips. And what else? I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. I want you to understand how significant this is. Not only is Isaiah able to be in God's presence, Isaiah was able to see the face of God. The seraphim cover their eyes, but Isaiah gets to see the Lord. Which goes to prove yet again that you as a human man and woman were built in the same cloth as God. The only way that you can look at God is if he permits it. So the fact that Isaiah gets to see the Lord is actually very significant. Asana might be able to teach a sermon that's called the three levels of worship. There's the outer courts, inner courts, holy of holies. Outer courts is where you did sacrifices. Inner courts is actually where those that were the Levites, the Levitical prophets, like the, they, they would walk around with smoke and they would inhabit the presence of God. But the holy of holies, only Moses, and, only Moses could go into because God's literal, not his presence, but his essence was in that place. That's where Isaiah is. He is in, not just in God's presence, he's a part of God's presence. But he realizes I can't say anything to a holy God because my lips are unholy. Being made small in God's image has little to do with your sin and has everything to do with us beholding how beautiful he is. We should feel small in worship, not because we're bad people, but because he's that good. God is everywhere, but he doesn't allow everyone to experience him. How you see God is determined by how you see God. It's all over i am doomed for i am a sinful man i have filthy lips and i live among a people with filthy lips one way that we know that he has been convicted and exposed is that isaiah blames himself before he blames the people that he's around you or i will blame the people god i want to worship you but these kids man they be getting on my nerves how many of you have ever stubbed your toe in the middle of the morning do you say glory hallelujah no don't don't do that Some of you might do like Rebecca and say, holy fire. (laughs) I use that all the time now. But Isaiah, when he's in the presence of God, he looks at himself. Write this down. Number one, worship should make you feel small, but God's presence should make you look at you. The people that have the most intimate relationships in worship are actually the most self-aware. Their worship seems pure, not because of how theatrical they are or charismatic they are with, like, their arms and whatnot, but because of what they are doing in worship actually tells the story that they realize that they shouldn't be able to worship him. Like, if we connected, how much of a privilege it is to worship a God that actually wants to be in your space— Jesus and God are the only deities in man's history who have fought to be in the place of man. Krishna didn't send anybody to die for you. Buddha couldn't, like they couldn't split themselves and still be holy. Every time that we worship, it should be a reminder of who we are. That's where this four-letter word that nobody likes and is a curse word, that's where conviction comes in. So this conversation in the church right now that's causing people that are deconstructing their faith to walk away from God, which is really silly, because he's the cornerstone. So if that means if everything else falls in the building, the cornerstone will, will remain. So like if you fall away from God in this deconstruction era, that actually means that you didn't have a relationship with God, which is okay. The construct of church doesn't work all the time, and it's, it's, it's man-made, so it's going to be filthy. But God is the, somebody say the cornerstone. cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. He doesn't change. He doesn't move. If everything else falls, it, it, he will remain. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Does anybody else feel the presence of God this morning? Isaiah 6, 6 6-7, it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from where? The altar. With a pair of tongs, he touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. That's my final point for today. Praise without pain is just a performance. Praise without pain is a performance. Let me prove it to you. Isaiah is self aware that he's unclean and that he's unholy. But as the seraphim are flying, they hear him and they grab a coal from where? Not just the altar, but God's altar. Remember, this sermon series is talking about the construct of what an altar is. It is a place where you sit on the ground, you set in a space to set a sacrifice to tell God how much you love him and to remind yourself of how good he is. Isaiah doesn't just get a coal from any altar. He gets a call from somebody say the altar. The seraphim comes and touches his lips with it. And now Isaiah has to make a decision of if he's going to allow God to, to, to sanctify him or if he's going to pull away. When his lips are touched with the coal, this is actually what we call the sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice of praise has nothing to do with how you feel when it comes time to worship. Like, do you you hear what I'm saying? Like, oh, I'm tired, but I'm going to give God my sacrifice. No, because now that's selfish. And now your sacrifice smells like you and it's unholy. What the sacrifice of praise actually means in the Strong's pastor and in the Greek Is, is are you willing to sacrifice your lips for what God wants to come out of them? So when the seraphim brings the coals to his lips, it is actually God bringing his glory to Isaiah's mouth. And asking him, are you willing to sacrifice your praise for what I actually want to hear? God, you're holy. God, you're amazing. I know that, but I want to give you a different praise. Can I burn your lips? You you do see the seraphim, right? They're on fire. So can I set you on fire? Are are you willing to sacrifice your entire being, being, upshaw? Because it's not worship until you're in spirit and truth, and the only way, Joshua, that you can be in spirit and truth is if you allow me to set you on fire. Because if you're the living sacrifice, you have to be burned. So, Josh, do you want to be a living sacrifice or not? That's the reason why we can hear certain songs that are worship songs but have no anointing. Don't don't get me on camera because somebody watching me and they're like, man, you lying. No, no, no. There's a difference why when Kanye's 808 hits, you feel something different. Because God's presence is neither secular nor sanctified. We saw the Lion King on Broadway and I felt the holy presence of God. Oh, you, oh, God only ex- I thought we said that he was omnipresent, which means that he's everywhere. I saw Niagara Falls with my daddy and I was like, I feel like worshiping. What the heck? We flew in an airline from the United States to another country. We were over the water for eight hours and the plane didn't break. How amazing is that? What if the things in your life Actually, we're just a reminder to worship God. What, what, what if he made the Grand Canyon not to wow you, but to push you to worship it? What, what if you know that the earth on its axis, for all of you slow people that think that it's flat, go back to Genesis, it'll prove everything right, you silly. God put them all in a specific order that if the earth were to move on its axis at all, that like you wouldn't exist. Like instead of being... Terrified that oh if we move we burn up why don't you think about like how 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 did you do how did you do that God you mean to tell me that once a man and a woman in marriage come together and they do what they need to that you're able to cause life to grow out of nothing how did you how did you do that but sometimes we can't worship God because we project how we feel about him on him. God, you can't be good. And now God isn't good because we see him as not good. But Isaiah is sitting there with the coals and he has the opportunity to pull the way. But somebody say he allowed God to set him on fire. All right, God, you can have my whole life. And we talk about. How God taking over your whole life is supposed to be like this sexy, romantic thing. Like, you can have all of me. Oh, God's like, really? Okay. (laughs) Well, he wants to set you. All right, you're mine now. And that's scary and terrifying. But this is the thing. Wherever darkness is and there's light, it attracts people to it. So, AWC, we grow when you actually give your whole life to Christ. Because all of these flames in the room come together, and now we're a beaming light. And and you know our church actually sits on one of the highest points of elevation in the city? So we are literally a on a city on a hill. We're literally a lamp that sits on the lampstand that does not, would not be put out. Because of the fact that you begin to worship God correctly, now people can see God because they see this light that they don't understand. And this is the cool thing about fire. Regardless of where you are, when you see the smoke, you know where to go. So the coals came from the altar of God. Because please make a note of this, whatever God burns, he claims. So he sacrifices his lips for a sac- for the sacrifice God has made for us. There should be an equal and opposite outward expression back to him. Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. If you're going to sacrifice your lips, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance in his name. Which means that every time that you were in a worship service and your mouth is closed, you're not worshiping at some point in time. In the time of worship, as the music is going forth, as the singing is going forth, you have to open your mouth. The next sacrifice that we can assume that Isaiah made when he touched his lips was that there was a sacrifice of his life. Romans 12, 1 through 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your what? Reasonable service. God requires our lives, which means our mind, our spirit, our soul, our body, our thoughts, our intentions, our motives, our values, the good and the bad. Somebody say all of it. The next place that God asks for a sacrifice is in our loot. Someone said, Give me the loot. <laughs> Hebrews thirteen sixteen says, And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. So when you are generous, AWC, I mean, like shameless plug of entrusted, which how many of y'all have fun in that sermon series? That was a lot of fun. Like you being generous wasn't your idea. It was God's idea. And when, you gen- when you're generous, it's a sacrifice that goes into God as worship. Romans 12, 19, 19 and 20, dear friends, never take re- re- revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take what? Revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, do what? feed them. That sounds like a sacrifice to me. That sounds like a sacrifice to me. Think about that person that you can't stand. Don't throw up. That person says, no, don't do that. (laughs) Think about fixing them a nine-course meal after they spit in your face. That's worship. Holy Spirit, help me. The last part, so if you sacrifice your lips, then you'll sacrifice your life. If you sacrifice your life, you'll sacrifice your loot. If you sacrifice your loot, now you'll sacrifice your love. Although God only asks us to give up the bad stuff in our lives, it can feel costly to do so because that stuff is superficially attractive. Giving money hurts because of what it can buy us. Giving our time away can hurt because of like what you're, because how many of you guys know that your time is your money? Do you know what it cost me to be here? Have you ever done that before? You should do that this week. Do you know what it cost me? Repentance is a very positive word. But at the time of having to repent, it's actually scary. Sincerity in the Greek means without hypocrisy. It means without play acting and without a mask. If two people are not sincere, then that means that they've never met. If you have two people that are in love, but they're wearing masks, doesn't matter how long they've been married, they've never met each other because they've only seen each other through the masks that they wear. And God feels the same. God comes into our lives maskless. God comes into your life and he says, this is, this is it, this is, this is all, everything you see, what, what, what Pastor Mark would say, what to see is what you get. I don't know where he got, you get that from you, is that you? Watusi, the Watusi clan, right. Y2C is what to see is what you get. This is what it is. But because we don't trust or believe God, for many of us in our worship, we put on a mask. Because we know how unclean we are. We, we know how dirty we are. And it's hard to believe that a God that's holy would want to see me. So let me put on a mask. And let me play church. Let me act all good. But this is the thing. God knows what's hiding behind your mask. Because he was there when you put it up. And I think that we're sitting in a place where now I think God wants to remind us that you do know that, like, I've never lost. I I've never lost. Like, you do know I've never, I've never lost. Ask Jacob. Ask Isaac. Ask Abraham. Ask Moses. Joshua, ask your granddaddy. Ask your mom about me. You know what you do, people? You, you know what you do when um, you're trying to explain somebody? And this is for my black culture. If I say like, yeah, I was over at David's house. I'll say it twice and it means something different. You ready? Watch this. I was over at David's house. David, which David? Man, you know David, David. And if I get so bold and you don't know who I'm talking about, David, 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 I've said it three times. And now that I've said it three times, I've reminded you not of just who David is, but based off of that, you have experience with David. You see his face now, and now you understand where I'm coming from. When the seraphim say, holy, 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 they're actually talking about experientially, this is who God is. How many people in the room, you know, God is holy just take it just take your time right there where you are just like god you're holy like remember don't look at me like look at god like remember when was god holy in your life when was he when did he make a way out of no way in your life and think about that is my faithful Father, calling me out of the dark, and night cannot whisper away what is said in the light. He is my foundation; my anchor be. Soul is on fire with His word. And when I listen to the sound of power on my lips, Jesus has broken the curse. He has never lost a battle. Be moved. Yeah. Jesus defeated the curse. He has never lost a battle. And he never will, he never will. Yes, Lord. And he never will. Quick, just right there where you are, just begin to practice it. Think about all of the things that God has won in your life. Just go for, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. And you never will. You never will. Those of you that are watching online, your posture should should actually give a response that God's glory and the train of his robe fills the temple because he's never lost a battle. Never will, never will. Because you always win. Our champion, sing you always win. You always win. Our champion, our champion. Come on, if you believe that this morning, sing, sing you always win. You always win. win. Our champion, our champion. One yeah. more time, sing you always win. A power, power on my lips. Sing, Jesus, Jesus has broken the curse. He has never, He lost. has never lost a battle. Sing, who are you? Who are you, great? Come on, sing again. Sing, who are you, great? Who are you,
1: great? Come on, somebody get bold
0: this morning. Sing, who are you? Your voice and worship, right there where you are. Come on! And he never will. He never will. And he never will. He never will. And he never will. He never will. Never will. Never will. Who are you, great mountain, that you should not? Sing Jesus. Jesus defeated the darkness. He has never lost. He has never lost. Come on, no music. Sing it again. Who are you, Great Mountain? Mountain? Sing it again. Sing who are you, Great Mountain? Who are you Mountain? We sing, who are you, Great Mountain? Who are you, Great Mountain? He has never lost.